As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of Athletic subscribers? (laughs) Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show or Talk of the Devils or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you whether you want a single ad on View from the Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, we talk through Chelsea's hectic deadline day, look ahead to the Fulham game and round up the rest of the Blues news. Available for significantly less than £106 million wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Well, what a few days then since we last met, gang. How about that transfer deadline day? Chelsea blowing everybody out of the water, breaking the British transfer record and ruffling a few feathers too. We're going to talk through it all. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by Jesse Parker-Humphreys. Morning, Jesse. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Oh, well, my head is spinning and I've not even been reporting on this. Uh, Sam Parkin's also with us. Sam, your combined transfer fees, what, pretty close to 106 mil all told? Hmm. I think I got to a million, which I uh, I'm never short in reminding my friends that this cumulatively is worth a million pounds, chaps. <laughs> which is big money back in those days. Um, you might have heard that Chelsea were rather active in the transfer window. We'll round it all up next. Chelsea have completed the most expensive signing in British football history. It's the Enzo the world as we know it. Enzo Fernandez finally got over the line to Chelsea from Benfica. It has been uh, officially confirmed now. Benfica are confirming it on their website. 
Enzo Fernandez has been removed from Benfica's website. He's no longer a Benfica player. So a remarkable final few days of the window then as Chelsea break the British transfer record, sell Jorginho and get labelled a Class A circus by PSG. As you can imagine, it's been a horrendously busy week for Simon Johnson and Liam Toomey. That hasn't stopped Liam getting his Adam Buxton on and sending us this voice note, mid-morning constitutional. You join me on my morning dog walk. That whooshes the sound of me throwing the ball for Ruby. I wanted to give myself a little bit of a distance from the transfer deadline to try and process what it is I might be responsible for in all of Chelsea's spending. Um, If you remember, Matt, on the podcast in December, you asked me and Simon which player from the World Cup we would sign for Chelsea. He picked Jude Bellingham. I picked Enzo Fernandez. Now, I, I can assure everyone, I had nothing to do with this. I had no idea that Chelsea were going to subsequently go and make him the Premier League's most expensive ever player. It's been a, a crazy, crazy month, and that's how long it's taken to get this deal done. Chelsea were in talks with Benfica and never really out of talks, actually, for about four or five weeks over the possibility of signing Fernandez. With, with George Mendes very much in the middle in his traditional broker role in deals like this. And it evolved over time. You know, Benfica's stance probably evolved the least. It was always value of the release clause or nothing, 120 million euros or go home. Chelsea's position was the one that changed over the weeks. Initially, when they had their first meeting with the Benfica hierarchy in London... Chelsea's mindset was that they weren't prepared to go anywhere near that release clause and subsequently their best offer in in early January was actually 85 million euros uh, plus a, a selection of players either permanently or on loan as part of the deal but as the window progressed and Chelsea explored other options obviously they they had that 55 million pound bid for Moises Caicedo rejected Uh, which we reported. I think they've built up enough familiarity with Brighton to know when no means no from Paul Barber and Tony Bloom at this stage. They made the decision in the final days of the window that they were prepared to go to 120 million euros, 105 million pounds for Enzo Fernandez. But the key distinction for them was on payment structure. There was no way they were going to activate that buyout clause in one go. Um, And so the nature of the negotiations on deadline day were Chelsea were trying to get it done in seven payments and Benfica were insisting on one. Eventually, they compromised, if that's what you want to call it, on six, uh, which Chelsea feel like is a minor victory. Obviously, Benfica are making out very handsomely in all of this as well. And then the, the madness of it all on deadline day was only intensified by what happened with Hakim Ziyech and to a lesser extent Amari Hutchinson and and Xavier Simons at the deadline. None of those deals eventually going through Ziyech and PSG left absolutely livid at what was claimed from the French side to be really like farcical administrative errors from Chelsea not getting the right documentation to them on time. Chelsea have a, a different version of events to that it won't surprise you to hear. We may never know the, the full truth of it, but whatever 
whatever actually happened, Ziyech was left in the ridiculous situation of being in Paris, basically in PSG's offices for hours, uh, and then having to find somewhere to spend the night and, and come back to, to London. So it remains to be seen what his mindset is for the rest of the season. In the midst of all this, Chelsea quietly sold their vice-captain to one of their biggest London rivals and the current Premier League leaders. Jorginho, the man who's defined Chelsea's midfield for better and worse since 2018, packed off to, to North London for a deal that's worth about 12 million. I believe it can become 13 if Arsenal end up winning the Premier League. And that certainly raised the stakes of managing to get Enzo on deadline day, although Chelsea insist that the decision to let Jorginho go was independent and it's kind of regarded internally as a bit of a no-brainer given that there was no traction towards keeping him at the club beyond the summer. But from Chelsea's perspective, they have Enzo Fernandez. they had their top January target from the very start and he caps what has really been an unprecedented January spending spree uh, in terms of transfer fees. Chelsea are very happy with the business they've done and the rest of the football world is still reeling. Right, back to Ruby. Thanks, Liam. Good girl, Ruby. Um, the rest of the football world is indeed still reeling. Uh, Jesse, you're the, you're the proper Chelsea fan amongst us. You don't strike me as the type to be all, we, we won the transfer window. But what do you make of this one in particular, Fernandez? Because... It's obviously a coup to get him, but we know about the fact that he's only played 17 games in, in European club football. Are you thinking this is the one that you wanted, that Chelsea needed? I think it's very hard not to get caught up in the excitement of the transfer window, right? I think, as you say, I, I try and like take a step back and look at it. But, you know, as it was all kind of winding up, it's impossible not to get really drawn into it. I think in terms of Fernandez as a player, I think it's very clear that he's extremely talented. I think the stuff around European league football is a bit of a a strange misnomer in some ways because, I mean, he is, you know, by far and away the most expensive player to have played like under 100 league games. But it feels very easy to just chop off the 50 or so games he played in South America, which do still count as as football, uh, even maybe from a Eurocentric perspective. And I think... You know, when you look at his performances in the Champions League, in the World Cup, this is a player who can clearly do it on a on a big stage, right? And that's not something I think that, that super concerns me. I think the fee is obviously massive, but equally, I can understand why Chelsea felt like this was a moment to get a player they really wanted. I think midfield is has obviously been something that that really needed to be improved upon within the squad, and that's been clear for a while. I also think there's central midfields become a position which just generally across the football world is is hugely in demand. When you look at the fee Chouameni went for when he went to Real Madrid, what Jude Bellingham's going to command potentially in the summer as well. I wonder if in the context of... I feel like the Enzo fee becomes seen as as more crazy because of the context of Chelsea spending overall, which is, you know, just unprecedented. But I think if you look at Fernandez on his own, it doesn't seem as wild to me because I think there's a lot of logic behind when you look at the market value for similar players, his age, 
there's definitely a World Cup tax going on there and the desire to get him before other clubs were maybe going to come in in the summer. But I think it's when you're adding this chunk of 105 million on top of hundreds and hundreds of millions, that's when it becomes a bit mind-blowing. As you would expect, there's loads of Fernandez content on The Athletic. Stuart James has looked at why this is a British record transfer fee like no other. Mark Carey and Liam Tharm have written about Fernandez, the player. Our Liam and Simon teamed up to take you inside the deal. And Liam and David Ornstein were on The Athletic Football Podcast with Mark Chapman earlier this week talking through the deal. Uh, Sam, how, how will he be feeling in terms of, you know, from a player's perspective, will he be desperate to be involved against Fulham on Friday night? And will he be feeling the weight of, of the price tag in, in that Stuart James piece I mentioned? There are quotes from Jack Grealish saying that, that he, you know, felt that it was a bit of a burden for him initially being the, the most expensive player in, in British football history. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that would be too much of an issue. He just won the World Cup and um, he had a terrific tournament. So no, I wouldn't be too concerned about his mentality Coming into the Chelsea squad, I'd have him involved, maybe off the bench. First time um, that he, he gets to see Stamford Bridge, maybe, but he'd be involved in training today. I wouldn't imagine he'd have been in yesterday. So we'll have to wait and see. I think it would give it give everyone, not that it's, it's needed, but numbers are still down, aren't they, in terms of the injuries and, and the squad is still a little bit wafer thin in a few areas, as bizarre as that sounds, going into this game, just because the treatment room is still stocked full of top quality players and, and players on their way back. So, yeah, because of what Jesse just said about that, that area of the pitch being problematic throughout the campaign, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's on the bench tomorrow and maybe even gets on for, for 10, 15 minutes. Um, that'll be down to how he's he's looking physically. But no, I wouldn't have any worries about the... The mentality uh, due to the price tag, I think it'd be raring to go. Jesse and Sam are going to give us their dream teams to take on Fulham later in the pod. Um, I'm not going to, but I will just say this is Chelsea. Fernandez starts and he either gets sent off or scores a hat trick. That is absolutely or both goes. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, so that's Fernandez. And as Sam said, great World Cup, named best young player at it as he came back with a winner's medal. It means with his purchase that Chelsea have spent more during January than all the clubs in the Bundesliga, La Liga, Ligue 1 and Serie A combined. Um, Jesse, that's one of those mind-blowing um, pieces of information, but it's not just about Chelsea spending loads of money, is it? It's about the fact that you know clubs in those leagues have hardly spent any as well. And, and as you mentioned, it, there's a feeling that they've kind of had to get this done now whilst they they can get players without you know, saying definitively, we can't offer you Champions League football next season. So there's a World Cup tax on Fernandez, but there's also the fact that you've got to take that into consideration with, with not just Fernandez, I guess, but with a few of these deals. Yeah, not to mention the, you know, UEFA rule changes around amortisation as well. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why you can see why Bodie and Co targeted this window, especially, you know, having actually had a proper lead up to it. You know, I think... It's maybe fair to say that looking back, some of the summer spending was a bit scattergun. But I think generally, when you look across Chelsea's January signings, there's a pretty clear profile that comes out. You know, it, it's young players who they feel like it's worth tying them down to longer contracts who presumably, you know, I think it's easy to look at, say, Fernandez and Mudrick and, and their very high transfer fees. But there's also clearly a number of players who've been brought in 
whether they're coming in now or in the summer, but, you know, Gusto, Badia Shiel, who presumably the hope is as well, is that because these players have been brought in for, you know, 30, 40 million, is that in three or four years' time, their value could increase. It's hard to look at, you know, a £100 million signing and say, you're definitely going to make a profit on this player. Although, given the nature of the transfer market, who knows, it feels like fees will only go up. But, you know, there is obviously, I think, it's easy to just look at the spending and not think about the wider business context, whether that is looking at the football Chelsea like might not be able to offer in the summer, but also being like maybe feeling that with the age profile of the squad, there's not necessarily been recently as many options in terms of, of looking at moving players on and, and the fees you can get as a result. I mean, the, the bind they all get in, which is a risk, and we've seen it happen with Chelsea players at the past, is if they're flops, then you're not going to, that's not going to pay off for you, right? Um, so that's the bet. But it's always better to be making that bet. You know, you even look at like the Koulibaly deal, and you look at Koulibaly's age and his contract, it's like, you're not going to move that player on. But, you know, I think people are much more willing to take bets on players who are 24, 25, even if they hadn't had a fantastic couple of years. And I think that's going to be the really interesting piece to see because to a certain extent that feels like a, a possible win-win you either try and move the players on or, or they become really successful and play for you for the next five to ten years it's comforting isn't it sammy it, it can be a bit scary if you just look at, at the figures that chelsea have paid but it, it's kind of comforting to see that they seem to have developed as an ownership group or maybe it's the people who are making these transfers there's a, as jesse says there's a big shift from getting Koulibaly, sterling Aubameyang, three players with little to no resale value to the kind of players that they've gone for in january it's, it's not scattergun spending there's clearly a plan here yeah absolutely and and married together with you know a a change in in dynamic in terms of the salaries as well to to try and bring those salaries down safeguard them against what Jesse was just talking about, you know, you, you don't want to have scenarios where you've got players on massive wages and you can't shift. And that's happened too too often, hasn't it, um, in the last decade or so. I've read a lot about, you know, this may be having a negative effect on the academy and the, the players that Chelsea are producing. But I think there's a understanding, I think, now when you're joining Chelsea that you are going to get, there even was when I was there, you're going to get the best education, you're going to get the best coaching, and if it works out for you, if you are elite, then there is, will always be that pathway. And that even the last five years has shown you that with Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Reese James. I think there'll still be that opportunity, plus Graham Potter at the helm. I think he'll want to continue the good, the good work of, of Lampard and, and Tuchel. It was circumstantial, wasn't it? That Lampard gave so many an opportunity. I think it will continue. Yes, you'll probably have to be that top end of the scale in terms of your calibre. But yeah, there's there's a clear plan signing younger players, um, marry that together with the best academy and, and one or two drip fed in in the next few years. It's incredibly exciting. And, and listen, the landscape has changed. Look at Manchester City's squad, Liverpool to a lesser degree, but the amount of money that's been spent, um, the size of the squads, you know, this the, the Premier League is enormous business. Don't need me to say that, but Chelsea are just taking it... <laughs> a little bit to a new level in the last month or so. I think the thing that will be interesting about the academy is that I feel like lots of the bet that Bowley is making, right, is around, I think, branding and the value of Chelsea as a club. And I think something that will remain important is that everyone loves the story of, like, the academy player come good and what that can mean for a club. And I think whilst that happens, 
there will continue to be an incentive around having like homegrown players and seeing them come good at Chelsea. And I actually think that that branding and I guess thinking more about how the club's perceived externally than maybe the previous ownership did is something that actually might benefit academy players even outside of like the footballing context. Yeah, and let's not forget that Chelsea have got Mason Mount as their reigning two-time player of the year. They're not many teams of Chelsea's ilk who uh, can say that. Let's move on to some some outgoings. Sam, if you can think back to all the way back to Monday night and when you first heard that Jorginho might be going to Arsenal, it's one of those, isn't it? Now you're like, okay, well, yeah, of course, that kind of makes sense. At the time, I'd imagine your reaction is somewhat different, but this seems to be one of those that's being broadly described as a, a good deal for all and um, Chelsea have managed to get some money for him Arsenal have managed to get a- another body in doesn't feel like one of those uh, Chelsea to Arsenal plus 30 go there play for a couple of years and retire he might, might do a little bit more than that but this works out well for everybody doesn't it yeah I think so if they were a, a direct title rival this deal probably wouldn't have materialised right now it's obviously strengthened a team in the higher echelons of the Premier League. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like Chelsea are going to be in that race this year. But um, I think he's a terrific player. And, you know, there's different ways about setting up a midfield. But if you want your fulcrum to be someone who can keep the ball, can progress the ball up the pitch, he's been a star for a number of top managers. He divides opinion. I mean, he was getting absolutely crucified when he was first in a Chelsea shirt under, was it Maurizio Sarri? Um, You know, he was the the player that every opponent seemed to be suffocating and thought he was the weak link. Well, he overcame that doubt and became a Champions League winner and has put in some really good performances even up to recently. So, yeah, I think it it works for everyone. Doesn't look like he had much of a future at, at Chelsea in terms of commanding a place in the midfield. Goes to a a big club with opportunity to win trophy, but I think everyone on reflection will will say, you know, what a, what a great player he's been the last couple of years. Yeah, Leaves having helped Chelsea win the Champions League, Europa League, Super Cup, and Club World Cup. Jesse, how will you remember Jorginho, the Chelsea player? Be hop, skip, and jump, won't it? That that will be the thing. You know, Chelsea put together like quite a nice video of just all of those identical uh, penalties, and it's strange to think of. I don't know who will take. Uh, Chelsea's penalties now that'll be an interesting to see how that one uh, comes out um, but yeah I think definitely uh, I, I think it, it's just yeah a classic like move that suits all parties I think to get you know over 10 million pounds for a player who was going to go on on a free at the end of the summer is a is a great deal and I think you know clearly I feel his time at Chelsea had come to an end but I think he's definitely a player that like time will be kind to. I think he's someone who, when when we reflect back on on this era of Chelsea, he's someone who will stand out a lot more than than maybe his slightly more uh, divisive uh, appearances right now. I spoke to Lewis Hall just in passing on Monday at Cobham, and um, I went a bit fanboy and I said, uh, "Who's the best out there since you've joined him with the first team? Go on, who's, who's the top man? Like, who's unbelievable?" I think he said Reese James, but then he followed that with Jorginho. And that doesn't surprise me. Do you know what I mean? I think it would surprise a lot of people, but I just think, yeah, to overcome the adversity, to keep getting picked, obviously what he's done for Italy as well, he's a top-class operator. So that I thought that was that was interesting with the amount of talent that you got out there and on the first-team pitch at Cobham. Still Jorginho running things and uh, taking the attention of the, the young boys. 
Yeah, hands across the dressing room as well. Everybody's friend. You only have to look at that Mark Kukurea video that I'm sure we've all seen um, to realise how surprising his exit was for some. Um, surprising for Hakim Ziyech, Sam, that he didn't manage to get the exit. Uh, Liam's told us a little bit about the details there. Chelsea, um, not quite going along with the version of events that PSG have put out there. But either way, Kenneth on Twitter saying there's a broken fax machine that kept De Gea from being a four-time Champions League winner that would like a word with the Chelsea FC Gmail and sent folder. Um, he'll be back at Cobham today, we think, Thursday, as we record. How's he feeling, Sam, as a player? how do you, It's going to be really important for Graham Potter to get his arm around him quickly, isn't he? But even that might not pacify him. He must be seething. Yeah, he'll be disappointed, obviously. Graham Potter seems to have shown quite a lot of faith in Hakim Ziyech recently and he's responded with a couple of really good displays and I know we're going to come on to it in a minute but that gives Graham Potter a bit of a problem on the right-hand side. I don't know how fit Reese James is and obviously that counteracts that to a, a large degree if he's fit but I don't know. You know, sometimes these decisions are club decisions, you know, over the, 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 the coach's head, if you like, or over, you know, what he needs for this weekend. So... I wouldn't be surprised if he still has a, a part to play this season because his form's been on the turn, hasn't it, in the last few games. So this weekend, it might be difficult for him to to refocus, but I think he's going to be needed in the short term. And I think Graham Potter and his staff will have been impressed with his recent performances. You know, you look at the players that have come in, his minutes are obviously going to, going to diminish unless something remarkable happened in the remainder of this season and he, you know, ended up Chelsea's, I don't know, top assist maker or whatever or stand out performer in the games that remain so you look at the amount of wide players that have come in and that's probably why the club were willing to move him on but right now right here I think he's probably got a part to play for Potter probably wouldn't say the same Jesse for Amari Hutchinson his proposed loan move to West Brom collapse read Simon and, and Liam's piece and you'll, you'll get a bit of detail about that West Brom certainly not in the same frame of mind that PSG are as to, to why that particular deal fell through. But a blow for Hutchinson, because we, we've seen him around the first team, but now you've got to think he's going to be playing for the, for the 21s for the rest of the season. Yeah, and he seems like he's in that kind of awkward position where he's almost too good for the under-21s and not quite ready for the first team. And, and that's just like really frustrating for a player's development, I guess, when you're thinking you could have, you know, five five months of playing regular football. But I mean, reading the piece about it just made me realise how stressful doing transfer. When you see all the moving parts that come in with these like loan deals and, and transfers, like it is just absolutely crazy in terms of all the, the way all the dominoes have to line up. And I guess it's always seemed strange to me that, that stuff happens so late on because it's just like the whole of football deciding to do its homework, like on the on the deadline day I, I I never get that and yeah it, it's frustrating for Hutchinson but I guess unlike ZH you know this is a player who's going to still have an opportunity to to play hopefully will presumably get an opportunity to go on loan in in the summer whereas for ZH to kind of be off the back of such a successful World Cup and potentially be looking at not playing very much when you know I think he was gonna like forego some of his wages and stuff like that he obviously really wants to play and you can see why and that feels like a much bigger shame I think uh right now than Hutchinson maybe yeah big shame for Hutchinson because I think he's really played his way into form this season obviously it's difficult when you when you move in new surroundings but he looks to be really enjoying himself I thought he was great on Friday playing as a, a number 10 in the in the PL2 and and just thinking there Corbran and West Brom would have been perfect you think of last season Andrew in 
Colwell and John Russell all there for that period when they motored into the playoffs. So there's obviously a little bit of a link there. I'd imagine Chelsea enjoy what Carlos Corbran is, is bringing as a manager, happy to send their players there. So it would have felt like a really good fit and I only see them making the playoffs as well. So he could have been a game changer in the championship. So not as many outgoings as probably Chelsea would have liked to have got done, but incomings in January, just to rattle through them. Enzo Fernandez, British record transfer fee. David Datro Fofana, uh, we saw him against Man City. Might get a loan to Turkey, I guess, in the last week. That window's still open. Benoit Badia-Shields looked great on two appearances so far. Andre Santos, four goals in four games. Captain in Brazil's under-20s at the ongoing Sudamericana. Joao Felix sent off in his first game. Three-game ban last of which is Friday. Mikhailo Mudrik faces a possible suspension as the FA look into a now-deleted TikTok video of him using a racial slur whilst reciting a rap song. Nani Madueke yet to feature. Malo Gusto not arriving till the summer. Listener, you thought that life at Chelsea was going to get dull after the previous ownership departed. Not a bit of it. Well, next today, we're going to get back to matters on the pitch. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember football games? Chelsea got one on Friday. It's a biggie too as they welcome Fulham to Stamford Bridge less than a month after that brutal night at Craven Cottage where Chelsea lost and Joao Felix got sent off. Chelsea would go above Fulham and into sixth for a while at least should they get the win. Um, I've asked Jesse and Sam to both pick an 11 for this game. The parameters are rather broad. They've basically got to be players contracted to Chelsea. We're not including Nkunku in this because, you know, He's not yet a Chelsea player. Um, Jesse, I'm interested to see where you put Mason Burstow in this team, as has been your want over recent weeks. And obviously you're not going to have Baddy Ashiel in there because we've established that you're very anti-him. Um, so talk me through your 11, please. In goal, Mason Burstow. Um, no, uh, this is like the goalie one is... the I got stuck on the first go. Um, I think I'm going with Kepa. Uh, although, you know, the temptation to really go left field with Slanina or some, something was, was lingering for me. But this is like, I can pick any, it doesn't matter if they're injured, right? Just Correct. to clarify. Yeah. Right, okay. So I'm going back for Reese James, Wesley Fofana, Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell. I was kind of leaning towards a back three, um, but then I just realised that there's so many Chelsea players I ran out further up the pitch. So I've had to go for the back four just to fit everyone in. Then I'm going to go for a midfield two of Enzo Fernandez and N'Golo Kante. Remember him? Apparently still contracted to Chelsea Football Club. Uh, and then Mason Mount as a, a 10. 
and a front three of Mikhailo Mudrik. Kai Havertz is still my false nine because despite signing everyone, we didn't really sign a striker. I guess we did sign David Dutro for Fana, but he, he hasn't made it. And Mason Burstow, he, he's, he's ready and waiting. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, I'll, I'll finish off with Raheem Sterling. Wow, okay. Some surprises in there, but it looks pretty strong to me. Uh, Sam, let's see how many of the same players you've gone for. I'm guessing you're going to go Kepper in goal as well. It's pretty similar. I'm I'm bringing Mendy back. Ooh. Mendy's in for me. Yeah, but no, I completely agree with what Jesse said. You know, we're sitting here after massive January splurge and I'm still thinking at both ends of the pitch in an ideal world, in a dream scenario, if I'm playing championship manager, I still want a goalkeeper and I still want a striker. And then that this would be formidable, what I'm about to churn out here. <laughs> this is a 2-0 victory over Jesse's mob. Um, Fafana. Right side, centre half. I'm going three at the back. Fofana, Silva, Badia Shiel. I think he's been outstanding since he's he's come in. And uh, wing backs, James and Chilwell. Same midfield two, Kante and Fernandez. Mudrik definitely on the left. But I think that means Ben Chilwell. I don't want Ben Chilwell hugging the touchline. I want Ben Chilwell making that nice little inside run, which he was making towards the uh, the tail end before he got injured. So he's going to come in field. Mudrick's keeping the width. Right-hand side, Jao Felix. He can come off the line and play in field a little bit, allowing James to have the right-hand side. And then up front, I would have had Nkunku, 100%. I think I'll just go Havertz just from Broya and I wanted to get Madueke in there but I've just not seen enough of him so Jao Felix could play centrally and Madueke could play on the right hand side but I'll just stick with Havertz for now give him a few more opportunities before he gets the hook all right interesting big end of the season coming up for Kai Havertz there I nearly said something which I think might be in the quiz so just keep my mouth to dry on that for a second or two Jesse in terms of the actual game I mean, I was going to say, what did Chelsea need to do differently from what they did at Craven Cottage? Not concede a daft goal and get somebody sent off, I suppose, is is the answer to that. But this is really significant, isn't it? We've been focused so much on things happening off the pitch that we've kind of forgotten that Chelsea really absolutely need to win this match on Friday night. Yeah, I think they do. And the fixture list is is in a kind of scary territory, I think, for Chelsea in that lots of the games look very, very winnable. But that means if you don't win them, the pressure only ramps up. I think there's positives to take from before we had this kind of long break. It was the first time that Chelsea had an XG of above one for three consecutive Premier League games in, in that like last run of three. Um, so even though they only won one of those, I think clearly the attacking performances were arguably much more complete than anything we've seen so far this season. And... You know, against Fulham before, obviously, Shao <laughs> Felix was a big part of that. And um, now he won't be uh, for this one, at least. Um, but I think there's, you know, I, I agree with Sam uh, as much as <laughs> I've got a reputation for not liking Badia Shield. I think he's a great player and I think he's made a big difference to the defence. Um, and I think that's a big boost. It'll be interesting, obviously, to see more of Madrid, who, who I guess we'll get to see, and, and maybe Madueke. Um, I think 
I think there's lots of positives to take, but there's also just so many moving parts coming in and out of this team. And my concern is is that almost the necessity of that, you know, you're even looking at like the returns of James and Chilwell, is whether it's just all a bit too much and that like kind of unbalances things. But that being said, you know, Potter's had had two weeks kind of on the on the training pitch with, with these players kind of around and, and in the squad. Um so you know, I feel like after the World Cup, we were like, right, this is really the point where Chelsea kick on. You know, Potter's had all this time, but like realistically, the players weren't there. But now it's like they, he has had time and the players have been there. And even the injured players, you know, have been kind of coming back and have been training. So it feels like we're getting a bit into no excuses territory. Yeah, Chelsea have been beaten in their last 17 home league meetings against Fulham. Fulham have never done the league double over Chelsea before. If they won tonight, and nobody's won more Premier League games since them, since the return from the World Cup, a win would take them to 34 points, which is the average required over the last six seasons to stay up. So plenty of motivation for them. And they'll have Mitrovic available for this one after he was suspended uh, for the meeting last month. It's an eight o'clock kickoff on Friday night, and we'll talk you through it on Monday's pod. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team made just one January edition. That was Micah Hamano, who's gone out on lane. How do you feel about that, Jesse? Obviously, all the talk around WSL transfer window was whether Alessia Russo would have gone to Arsenal or not. Should Chelsea have been a bit more busy or are they pretty content with what they've got? I think it would have been nice to get a striker. I feel like it's a lot of pressure on Sam Kerr's shoulders with a lot of games um between now and now and the end of the season I think you know clearly Chelsea have a huge number of attacking players who can and will contribute you know I think when you saw say Arsenal panicking around and offering money to Manchester United for Alessia Russo that really just kind of screamed like they desperately needed someone to score goals for them I don't think Chelsea have that same problem um and I think we will see maybe Lauren James potentially uh, players are kind of false nine at points in the season. Um, it doesn't help that Chelsea seem to be getting lots of kind of annoying draws. You know, like we've drawn Arsenal in the fifth round of the FA Cup, which is just like one of those games where you're like, oh, I'd have loved to like just rest like lots of our starting players. And now suddenly it becomes a really big thing. Um, but look, Chelsea have a very, very big squad full of lots of players who are already looking for minutes. And I would much prefer them to wait if they are waiting and and figure out targets in the summer um you know Chelsea are interested in Rousseau as well and now she'll be available in a free um come the summer presuming she doesn't sign another contract with United uh which seems unlikely right now although I think they're still hopeful um so yeah I, it would have been nice but equally I'm when you look at say Arsenal's real scattergun approach to trying to bring in whoever <laughs> And whatever, I much prefer kind of the quiet confidence of Emma Hayes that her, her squad is fine and will get it done. Yeah, as Jesse mentions, uh, Emma Hayes' team face Arsenal in the FA Cup fifth round at the end of this month. This weekend, the Blues go to Spurs in the WSL. That's a 12.30 kickoff Sunday lunchtime. Uh, no game for either the men's under-21s or 18s this weekend. Bumper pod today, though. Does that mean there's no time for a quiz? No chance. All right, Jesse is the undisputed quiz master at the moment, coming into the, this quiz off the back of successive victories. So a bit of pressure on both today. It's Chelsea v Fulham related. Uh, Jesse, here's your first question. 
Only three players who started for Chelsea at Craven Cottage last month did so when the teams last met at Stamford Bridge in May 2021. You can have four guesses here. I need the three players, please. Mason Mount. Mason Mount is one. When was May 2021? <laughs> so it wasn't last season. Tiago Silva. Tiago Silva is one. Two guesses to get the final player. Jorginho. Jorginho is incorrect, which adds a nice little bit of jeopardy into this particular question. (laughs) Kovacic. Oh, hang on. Hey, I've got one more guess. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But is Kovacic right or wrong? (laughs) Kovacic is wrong. I will tell you that before I pass it over. Um... Hakim Ziyech. Right, now you can try and steal it, Sam. Okay. Kepa. Oh, I'm pleased you didn't steal it because that would have been harsh if Jesse ever done the legwork. It was Kai Havertz was the answer that we were looking for, I'm afraid. Uh, Sam, your question is from a little bit further back than that, your first one. Chelsea and Fulham didn't meet in a Premier League game at Stamford Bridge until 2002. The Blues won 3-2 that day with one of the goals being scored by a player who would later sign for Fulham. Name that player. You know what? This is a very, very difficult question. So I'm yeah, it's unbelievable, you a isn't it? Uh, a striker who would later sign for Fulham. 2002. Mm. Didn't go from Chelsea, Chelsea to Fulham. He went from Chelsea to Fulham. No, he didn't. He played at Fulham at a later stage of his career. He played for everybody. Oh, okay. Um, Chelsea striker 2002 Is that your time? Mm, slightly after Got literally got nothing Literally got nothing um, 2002 no, I'm completely blank. Uh, Tour on Flow. It's not a million miles away. Jesse, can you pinch it? I've got no idea. Goodness me. Blanks for both in the first question. It was Ida Goodjonsson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of oh, those yeah. like, oh, he played for Fulham, oh. did he? Yeah, he also yeah. played for Stoke, believe it or not. As I say, he played for everybody. Uh, Jesse, here's your second question. Which team did former Chelsea man Nathaniel Chalaber leave Fulham to join on deadline day? West Brom. Oh, perfect. And Sam was all poised to steal that as well. Uh, Sam, here's your second. Um, just keep in mind that it's just a bit of fun, the quiz, so there's no need to get too cross. Uh, what is William's full name? Don't know. <laughs> Not prepared to engage with the question. No. Stupid question. Silly little quiz. Richard Keyes. Uh, Jesse, would you like to steal it? I feel like, is there like a Santos in there? Well, you can't ask me for a clue. You have to. No, I mean, I'm not going to get like the whole thing. That was just the thing that came to my head. I think you're right. 
Okay, you're both wrong. Uh, it's William <laughs> Borges de Silva. You've got your Silvers and your Santos yeah. mixed up there. It's Jesse. an easy mistake. Take a point off. <laughs> it's essentially, like, if he was English, he'd be called William Ballsmith or something. So it, it's pretty pretty route one stuff, that, in terms of Brazilian name. But you didn't get it. Jesse, here is your final question. You won nil up. Which member of the current Chelsea squad joined from Fulham? Not as easy as you'd think, is it? Oh. <laughs> no. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> when are we going to have an egg timer introduced here? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know why um, producer Lucy's just sitting laughing at the hilarity of this when she could be coming up with a tiebreaker question that I've forgotten. To am I in business if I get this? Yeah, I mean, if you get it and then you get your final one, you'll win. But Jesse might still get it. I'm going to have to hurry there, Jesse. I've got absolutely zero idea. Um, Armando Broger. Sam, are you going to steal it? Just, I'm, I'm worried he, he went somewhere in between now. But I'm just doubting myself because I'm having a stinker. It's got to be Bettinelli, hasn't it? Indeed, it is Marcus oh. Bettinelli. He was on loan oh. at Middlesbrough. Yeah, that was the one. I thought he might have been there permanently. All right, so you're off the mark, Sam. And to the extent that in this very, very low-scoring quiz, <laughs> uh, if you can put this in, then you'll win it. Here's the final question. In regulation time of the quiz, will we go to extra time? Uh, I hope so, because it's a very, very loosely tiebreaker question. Scott Parker came on as a half-time sub in Chelsea's 2-1 win against Fulham at the Bridge in 2004. Parker would go on to manage Fulham, but who's he currently in charge of? Recently got a new gig. Might have passed you by. Oh, no, I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I've got the country. Well, you're halfway there, but... I've got the country... It's that. This this is for the win. Mm. I think it's Bruges. You're the winner today. It's got Bruges, but I'll give you that. Yeah, Jesse, would you have got that? No, I for some reason thought it was one of the Genks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sam, you tend to be a bit grumpy when you lose, so you must be thrilled today. I'm still grumpy. On behalf of both of us, first No spelling questions. questions. What no. was that about? No. <laughs> I spent my train journey reading a dictionary. <laughs> I spent the morning finding out what the sixth letter of Abamyang was. Because I just that I just didn't think it was an E, but it is. It is. We in there. Uh, We should have got you to spell amortisation, which is very much (laughs) the buzzword of the week. The bonus question, by the way, or the tiebreaker would have been, how many people does Enzo Fernandez follow on Twitter? Two. 200. Oh, you're closer, Jesse. It's 385. And according to Lucy, of his new teammates, only Azpilicueta, and Joao Felix, and he would have followed Joao Felix already, wouldn't he? So interesting that he's chosen 
Aspilicueta as the uh, the one that he presumably hit follow on. Interesting? No, not really. Probably means it's time to wrap this up if we're going in depth on who Enzo Fernandez follows on social media. As I mentioned, there is loads of Fernandez and Chelsea content up on The Athletic now, so go check that out. If you aren't currently a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. It'll only cost you £2 a month for 12 months. Uh, Sam, you, me and Lucy are rival factions come Friday night. I'm in the Chelsea TV corner, you're in the BBC London corner, but we'll both be at Stamford Bridge, right? Is that your, your big plan for the weekend? Yeah, pretty much. Looking forward to it. See you at the buffet. Um, yeah, I'll have to uh, be relatively nice about Fulham as well, I'd imagine. <laughs> Lucy's in charge of that, so she can instruct. Yeah, maybe not then. Jesse, what you got on this weekend? I'm going on a little holiday to Barcelona. Ooh, very so nice. So I will go and watch Barcelona Femini, who I believe are playing Real Betis for my Sunday football fix. Wow. Spoiler alert, Barcelona Femini win by <laughs> quite a big margin, I would assume, because they have a ludicrous squad. Uh, well, that sounds like good fun. Uh, so does Chelsea v Fulham. I mean, start of a new era and all that should be a, a really significant occasion. Whatever happens, we'll tell you how it went down in our Monday pod. That will do us for today, though. Thanks to Liam for dropping by earlier on mid-dog walk and to Jesse and to Sam and to Lucy and to you for listening keep across the athletic for all the best chelsea content and we'll speak to you again on monday the athletic